We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to your go-to Pacers podcast. I'm Alex Gold, and I'm joined today by Michael J. Fachi, the president of the Jermaine O'Neal Fan Club. And Fachi, tell the people what we're doing today. Oh man, trivia is back. It is December, so if, if you didn't get a chance to come on November and you know fight for your fight for the, the right to the championship, hey, you still have another month. But then also, Alex, it's an action-packed episode. We're not just doing trivia today. Tell everybody else what, what we have going on. Yeah, Dan Favalli from Hardwood Knox and Bleacher Report is going to be joining us in the first segment to talk about the Indiana Pacers' victory over the Boston Celtics and then just kind of look at the landscape for the Pacers moving forward and how that could look for the Pacers. So always enjoy Dan's perspective on things. He's a really good uh, – he's just really intellectual when it comes to the Pacers and just the NBA in general. He's got a great pulse on the league. So always enjoy talking to him. But trivia, man, it's a lot of fun. They got uh, two friends going head-to-head versus each other. Comes down to the final round like we always love to see. But we're talking elimination games. We're talking in-season tournament. And we're talking Rick Smiths. So we're all over the place with our three categories for this one. But it was a lot of fun, Potch. Oh, yeah. Some great banter between the two of them. Obviously, they, they go back, uh, Eric and Matt. But also, these guys know their stuff. I mean, they, there was a couple questions. They did not need any choices. I mean, they couldn't wait any longer to give the answer. So, oh. Always, always um, very respectable when someone's just like, hey, back off. Let me answer. I'm going for it. And that is my final choice. And, and I will say you'll want to stay to the very end because Eric gives his let's go Pacers at the end of the show. And I think that there's a chance he might even do it better than Michael Fachi. Now, Fachi might disagree because Fachi, you know, he gets that fist pumped up and he gets ready to yell it out. <laughs> but I mean, Eric was ready. He said, I want to hit you guys with a let's go Pacers before we leave here. So. Uh, fans are going to, have to let us know who does it better, Eric or Fachi. And also, I got to say, Eric was spotting a jersey that I think if maybe 
Maybe you had 14 guesses. I don't know if you're getting don't it right. Don't tease it too much. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. But th- th- this was a cool one. So I'll leave it at that. You'll be surprised. Yeah. We will say the only teaser, it's not Daniel Tice. <laughs> it is not. Uh, that, And that's why I left that at 14 because, you know, yeah, it ain't a 15-man roster anymore. Well, you know, uh, 15 regular spots. Yeah. But anyway, let's get out of the way and let's bring on some uh, – who do you want to go first? Trivia? No, we're going to go with Dan Favalli in our first segment, and then we'll close things out with our trivia. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Dan Favalli. Hey, Pacer fans. Alex Golden here. I wanted to let you know about my new blog, The Blue and Golden. If you enjoy reading articles about the Pacers, then subscribe to my Substack, which is 100% free. You can find the blog at theblueandgolden.substack.com, or you can follow the link in the description of this podcast. If you enjoy what you're reading on The Blue and Golden, please share the blog with your family and friends. Thanks for your support of not only this podcast, but my written work that can only be found on theblueandgolden.substack.com. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, everybody joining us now on Setting the Pace. He's been on this show before to talk trades with us, but obviously we're going to just talk some basketball today. It's Dan Favalli from Hardwood Knox. Dan, what's going on, man? Nada. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Happy to have you back. I'm doing oh, great. Thank Pacers. you guys so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm doing great. Pacers got a huge win against the Boston Celtics on Monday night, 122 to uh, 112, advancing to Vegas in the uh, in-season tournament semifinals. So your thoughts on the in-season tournament and then what, what you think the NBA has done in terms of promoting it? I've enjoyed it like almost every element of it for the most part. I love the courts and hate the uniforms, ironically. The Pacers uniform is actually probably the best uniform. It's up there, but their court was spectacular. I love seeing the differentiation with the courts. I love that, you know, there were some players that seemed a little bit annoyed about the way the point differential tiebreakers worked. I loved it. The fact that you're seeing, you know, players get intentionally fouled when you're up big buckets because that stuff matters. I'm actually interested to see next year if players and teams kind of understand the value of the point differential earlier. So we see that stuff happen before the final week of those, you know, initial group play games. And I think, look, it's, it's still going to take a while for the NBA cup to, to catch on with meaning. You probably have to get a few under your belt, uh, but I never understood why no one would, why anyone, excuse me, would come into this with anything, but an open mind. This isn't a victory lap to say, look, the NBA just did something great. We still need to see some of it play out, but we get moments where it's like, the, let's use the Indiana game as an example. Like the crowd was into it. And you have Tyrese Halliburton calling it the most important game he's ever played in. Um, that's really freaking cool for because the casual fan does not care about the NBA before the NFL season is over. So anything you can do to drive interest, not just from the fans, but from the players and to get those guys on the court. Um, I've enjoyed it. I think it's been a home run in year one. Yeah, I mean, do you think – coming into this, I thought this was a money grab. Oh, I mean, come on. They're just trying to have more people tune into Tuesdays and, and Friday games than usual early on. But so far, it's worked. It's felt different. But do you feel that this in-season tournament has maybe meant more to the underdog teams that are trying to fight for that extra nationally televised game? For instance, like an in Indian. Because look at the statement they made by being able to advance compared to maybe, you know, some other teams where they're like, you know what, it's just another game. Yeah, for sure. I think you're going to see a lot of that because there's an element of when it's just single elimination, even when it's just one game, when you're looking at group play, because you're playing everyone in your group once, anything can happen. Whereas we know over the course of a seven game series, 
the best team is probably 95% of the time just, just going to win unless they're so evenly matched. Um, and then if you're an underdog team to go into the playoffs and have to win, you know, three, four playoff series, it's just such a big ask if you're a low seed. And so I do think it provides an avenue for not just these younger teams to kind of make a name for themselves, get on national TV. I think at, like the Pacers are going to be like a household team after this, just because they're seeing people are seeing how fun they all are to watch play. And then just Tyrese Halliburton being a megastar. And I think what actually might end up happening, and maybe we're seeing it a little bit with the Lakers, is you could see the flip side of this as well, where it's these older players who might not be as durable or fully healthy when we're talking about games in April, May, and June. Uh, we're going to see LeBron James get up for the in-season tournament because he's going to be as fresh as possible. And the Lakers have very clearly cared about these games despite uh, their injuries. And so I think that's something that could catch on. But for the young teams specifically, it wouldn't shock me if, even if they're not going to win, if we just routinely see a, a team or they could be a plucky playoff team or maybe they're a play-in team, but a team like the Pacers um, or even a team like the Pelicans that dealt with injuries and are kind of a question mark, that those might be the teams that get up the most for these games and maybe enjoy them and, and glean the most from them and view it as getting some of their younger players who might not have experience in these high leverage situations as as playing in those big time games. There's of course no replicating the postseason, but this comes as close as you can in, in the middle of December. And I think one of the things too, that the NBA probably wanted, I'm kind of curious your thoughts on this too, is like everybody loves March Madness. Everybody loves single elimination games type style. And you really won't ever see that happen with the playoffs because they really want the seven game series for all the reasons why they want to do that. So do you think maybe this is their way of saying, okay, we can kind of have like a March Madness feel in you know, November, December by doing a, a tournament here where it's single elimination and you get that winner go home type feeling. Oh, for sure. And I think the other part of it, even aside from that, is part of the reason why the NFL such an institution is scarcity of product. And the in-season tournament, because it's so short, like it, it really was like, it's going to be a month long, basically. Um, and you're only playing these teams once that there's that scarcity of product baked into the single elimination then. And that's also why March Madness does so well. Yes, you watch these teams play 20-something games or whatever the college season is. But that's one. That's a very small sample size to begin with. But you're just going through this frenetic 60-plus team bracket. And so this is like you're – it's that in miniature for the NBA on both fronts. Is it The NBA Cup is a scarcity of product because it's so – like think how long the playoffs last. Like, like three months at this yeah. point. The NCAA tournament lasts a month. And so I think that helps as well. But the single elimination element, absolutely for sure. It's, you know, the people who love want some of the rounds to go back to best of five. Like this is that on steroids. Like it's just because it's all this single elimination stuff. Every single game matters from the start of group play through the end, of course, um, of the NBA Cup final. It just matters a, a metric ton. You know, I'm not trying to be a homer over here, but has any player really elevated their status more throughout this in-season tournament than Tyrese Halliburton, who has really come out to show the NBA, maybe NBA casuals, just how good of a player that he really is? Probably not, just because when you're talking about the elevation he's made, and I have not gone through my ladder just yet, but like this is someone who in some of these games, because of some of these games, has probably vaulted himself into like the top five, top seven of the MVP conversation. And we saw that with Shea Gilgis-Alexander last year, independent of this in-season tournament, of course. That doesn't just put a player on the map. It puts an entire team on the map because we have changed nationally. The way the Thunder have been talked about has changed dramatically when you look at the start from last season until now. And something similar is probably going to happen with the Pacers um, just based off Tyrese Hall Halliburton's play all season. But if they end up being the first NBA 
you know, cup holder or whatever, an in-season tournament champion, whatever we're calling it, um, that goes a long way, I think, toward putting them in the, the national conscience. Yeah, I mean, last night, I'm sure that game against Boston, nobody expected the Pacers to really win that game. Everybody's kind of got their eyes on Boston, 15-4 and four heading into the night, and the Pacers just were able to pull pull away in the third quarter and got back to their style of play with Tyrese kind of being the head of the snake for the Pacers there. But what did you see in that game from the Pacers outside of Halliburton that made you think, oh, I really like this team. Like, there's some things that they really do well, and I would like to see them play more national televised games. So the first one is, and they don't do this well, because we know what the defensive numbers are, but like they ratcheted up the defensive intensity in the second half. And to see them be able to do that in half court situations specifically, is kind of like, all right, like, does this team have another level? And you look at the personnel and it's probably, no, that's not sustainable, but it's good to know they can hit that gear. And the other thing, and he's done this pretty much all season, but holy Aaron Naismith, like, this dude just like signed an extension. It was everyone's like kind of an afterthought. Oh, why they why they resign him? We knew he was important in their rotation because of the lack of wings and bodies that you want to throw it before. And he's just come in. I used to be super nervous when he would dribble or attack closeouts, and now I'm just like, oh no, he's killing it. And that on top of his three point shooting, on top of the defensive assignments that he's shouldering, um, this is someone who is, you know. I don't, I don't know where he lands on the pace or scale of important players in the in the aggregate, but there's Tyrese Halliburton, and there's Miles Turner, and then Andrew Nemhart has probably been their best individual defender this year. But like, Iron Smith has been one of their three to five most important players this season, and to say that about him on a team that has playoff aspirations is is a pretty big deal. And so I've been really, he was good last season, but this is just from what I've seen anyway. This is this is a pretty big jump for him. No, it is. He's definitely taking his game to the next level. To be able to get ahead on that extension for Neesmith was just awesome. Love love to see it. But I always love someone's opinion who's not just so centered around the Pacers. I mean, we're 11-8. and eight. We have wins over Boston, Milwaukee, Miami, Philly. There's been some great wins. There's also been some bad losses. Lost to Portland, Charlotte, Chicago, and Toronto. From maybe outside of you know, the Pacers' point of view, does it feel like Indiana is ahead of expectations or perhaps still in that play-in category? That's a great question. I feel like, I think just because when you look at it and you have someone like Tyrese Halliburton and like that's the thing, that's the guy, that's the hardest player to find. And even after last year, it's, oh, is this best player on a title contender material? Is this top 10 player in the NBA material? The answer is now yes. And so that the fact that you've answered that in the affirmative, I think does put you slightly ahead of schedule. It's how do you kind of react to not just his success and, and some of your own successes when you know how great the offense is, but how do you react to some of the flaws? How do you react? What's the player development look like? Isn't Benedict Mathurin at the end of the season, can we point at him and say, you know what, he's a core player of the Pacers? Um, are they going to give Jarris Walker an extended look as someone who maybe not as a rookie, but could give them a lot of what they are missing defensively? And if the answer is no on either of those fronts, where they don't think Jarris Walker can inflict real defensive change over the next couple of years, or if they don't view Benedict Mathurin as this core piece, do you have the gall to step outside of your own internal development window, your own draft picks, and go out and trade for a player who is a, a, a co-running mate for Halliburton. You have your best player who can be your best player. How do you find that second or or third best player? Is he already on the roster? Is he not? And to me, that's a lot of what the rest of this season is about for them. Um, and I'll be curious to see what they do. They've been linked to some names, but we know that the Pacers are historically more prudent on the trade market might be the best way to to go about it. But I think because you have Tyrese Halliburton, you are on this 
accelerated timetable, not because of his age, not because of his contract situation, but because he's one of the 10 best players in the league right now. And I'll be very curious to see what the, how they go about that. Or, and my guess would be, this is me, you know, not someone who's following the Pacers as close as you guys. My guess is that no, that player that they need is not on the roster right now. I'm not, I don't think Benedict Matherin's a bad player, um, but I tend to be on like the mid-end outcome of his trajectory compared to everybody else. And then after that, it's, well, we haven't really seen enough or any of Jarris Walker this season to, to know what he's going to bring to the table. And even if we do get a sense of it, that's just like, you have to scale ahead like two or three years. And the Pacers are very much still, yeah, they're, they're a team that's, their eyes are on the future, but they're good now. Tyrese Halliburton is the superstar now. And so that's kind of where I land with the Pacers. I think they're slightly ahead of schedule, but I'll be very curious to see how they respond or go about actualizing this timeline that Tyrese Halliburton alone basically has put them on. Tyrese has said it. He wants to win. He wants to be in the playoffs. And that does kind of speed up their timeline a little bit because Jairus Walker, I think everybody expected him to get at least the backup four minutes and play maybe 10 to 12 minutes a night. And now he's not even seen the floor. He's gotten so many coaches, uh, decisions, DNPs, and everyone's kind of frustrated as a Pacer fan because they don't even get a chance to see what he can do, uh, especially in meaningful minutes. Like he might play in garbage time, but that doesn't really show you a whole lot. So it is a tough dynamic to kind of figure that out. And you talked about it like, Miles Turner is probably the second most impactful player on this team, but I think we've seen enough for Miles career to realize he's not a number two guy. He's a third, fourth, fifth option uh, on a team that's really trying to be good in the playoffs. So you, you kind of hinted at it, maybe going out and getting a second star. Is there a name or two that you think would make a lot of sense to go after uh, with this Pacers team age wise, contract wise that, and what you'd have to give up wise that would make sense for the Pacers to kind of be aggressive. You know, ironically and this is it's counterintuitive to some extent is that given how reluctant the Pacers do seem to part with their own future draft picks in general is you might be better off targeting a soon-to-be free agent even though Indiana is not viewed as this market that's you know going to bring guys in just off the street and if you already have them I think it's a lot different um, but the cost of going after those players if they are being traded should theoretically be cheaper than if they had two or three years left on their deal and they've been I know you guys have talked about it, everyone's talked about it. They've been linked to Pascal Siakam just like again and again and again. And they're of the teams that have been mentioned, like he makes way more sense on the Pacers than he does on the Hawks or the Warriors. I still do think that they need someone who skews more wing than like combo big. Like Siakam can do some of this stuff on the perimeter against these higher end guys, but OG Ananobi, if he were to become available, is probably the better fit. And I wouldn't call him a star. I also don't expect him necessarily to become available unless he's unhappy with his offensive role in Toronto. Um, they need a player like that, though. I could see Siakam coming in and making a big enough difference on the defensive end alongside Miles Turner specifically that it would matter. Um, but I think you need that um, three, four combo type, just big body that can go out there and defend the other team's best player almost irrespective of the of the position that they play. And you talked about the Pacers should be, you know, more aggressive to, you know, go in 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 line with Halliburton's talent, not necessarily his age. You talked about the trade market, but Indiana's never been necessarily a premier free agency destination. We could put it that way. When we had players like Paul George or Victor Oladipo or Sabonis, it didn't translate to attracting free agents. Do you feel that Tyrese Halliburton could be the difference maker there in attracting talent to come to Indiana in free agency? Now, obviously, money is always going to talk. It's always going to talk the loudest. But does it feel like Halliburton 
could be the difference maker compared to other franchise players the Pacers had that couldn't learn talent? I would say yes, in the sense that he feels very much in the, and I'm not saying he's as good as Nicole Jokic. He's in the realm of Nicole Jokic of this dude is going to get other dudes paid. And so if you're coming there, like a, even a Bruce Brown, who's on this inflated one plus one deal. But if you come there and you're able to solidify yourself to the point where you can opt out and another team or the Pacers are going to give you a longer term deal that's worth close to something annually, or you see what happened with Aaron Gordon when he was slotted into a different role alongside Jokic, doesn't go there in free agency, but ends up getting an extension that people thought was too big at the time. And so even if it's not, because free agency right now has changed to where the most important players really aren't hitting the open market. Tyrese Halliburton changes the complexion of the complexion of the conversation in the sense that, okay, maybe we're not just signing free agents outright. There are a lot of things, our own cap situation that goes into it and then who's available, but we are confident enough that if we trade for Siakam going into free agency, for Ananobi going into free agency, if they ended up with Mikhail Bridges and he was headed into free agency, which he's, he's not entirely soon, you're going to be confident that that player is not going anywhere because people want to play with Tyrese Halliburton. And I think that's become pretty clear just time and time again when you watch them. And then Rob Mahoney, the ringer, had the fantastic profile of Tyrese Halliburton where Miles Turner was talking about how when he was injured and he was just watching other people play with Halliburton, all he wanted to do was get on the court. So to have someone who in, injects that feeling into... It's not just going to be people that are already in the Pacers locker room. It has to be, you know, Bruce Brown now understanding it or like getting the Aaron Neesmith getting the first chance opportunity to play with them. And look, it wasn't too long ago that Tyrese Halliburton was new to this locker room to begin with. And so someone like Miles Turner, who was far into Halliburton's watching him and saying, no, I want to play with this dude. That's a big deal, whether it's happening, we're signing free agents or we're acquiring, maybe making some dice rolls on the trade market. He's 23 years old. He's entering what you would call maybe the MVP conversation right now uh, as like a top five candidate. And he's just, he's blossoming into the the franchise's, you know, star, their, their superstar level guy. What does he need to do to keep this going? And in terms of, I know you talked about attracting players, but keeping the Pacers relevant because their, their team record has been kind of inconsistent. They've had some big wins in the in-season tournament. Then they lose like to Charlotte, they lose to Chicago, they lose these games, but like, how do they stay consistent now that they've got the eyes of the national media? I mean, it starts, and I don't know if it's something Tyrese Halliburton needs to specifically do. He could be, and we saw it kind of in the second half against the Celtics. Like he doesn't, he's not always going to be as eminently targetable, um, but he is a lot on the defensive end. But like, I don't think there's anything else that he could feasibly do offensively than what like to lift up the pace. So they have the best. This was a big, yeah, their offense is great. They have the best half court offense in the NBA. That's a big deal when you look at where they were at last season. Um, they need to figure out some stuff on the defensive end. I personally do not think they have the personnel to do it, but like even maybe some low-hanging fruit where, yes, part of what's good about their offense is it allows their defense to get set. So they're not allowing teams to get out and transition a bunch. When they do, it's so easy to get behind the Pacers. It's almost jarring. And so stuff like that feels like you could clean it up. They're the team that fouls the most when they're guarding the pick and roll. Like that stuff that you should be able to cut down as some of your players get more experience or have more familiarity with one another. If they can kind of just improve some of their, like I'll say improve their improvable defensive vitals, like within the realm of feasibility with the personnel they have, that would go a long way towards like I would think elevating the immediate ceiling of this team. Because if the Pacers were like even a, a 22nd ranked defensive team as opposed to like one of the two worst defenses in the league, like that changes their immediate trajectory a great deal. And that's the thing. You're talking 22nd. I think Pacer fans would kill for 25th. 
because right now you just can't be the worst defense in the league. But if things don't change and the Pacers do remain, say, a bottom three defense in this league, do you feel that it's just a matter of time before they find themselves on the outside looking in, perhaps maybe not even a playing team? Because it's one thing to be the best offensive team in the league. It's a whole other thing to be the worst defensive team in the league. So do you think that is just far not sustainable? I think I would be flabbergasted if they fell out of the the play-in chase, just when you look at the landscape right now in the Eastern Conference. But could their defense be the difference between, all right, right now we're comfortably a top six seed, and oh no, we have to go into the playoffs by virtue of the play-in, and maybe we don't even have the seven or eight spot. Like maybe we're we're nine or ten if Atlanta and Brooklyn like catch lightning in a bottle and and leapfrog some of them. We know the Cavs are probably going to improve as the season goes on. Uh, I absolutely think that's a possibility. But as constructed now barring injury to like one of you know, Halliburton or Turner or Brown or maybe even Nemhar. like this is a team that should even if its defense doesn't get better they should be I would think like one of the top eight teams in the conference depending on where they're they're slotted obviously in the top eight you know seven and eight is going to be tough but do you think if they're anywhere from that three to six range that they could win a playoff series Ooh, that's a great question uh, I mean, matchups are everything. I will say when you look at some of the teams that they would be going up against where it's like, I just like, if you have a series with the Knicks or the Sixers, maybe even the the Celtics a little bit look caught off guard. Um, even the Cavs, just like there are teams when you look at their defenses, even when they're good defenses, they are not used to defending the entire floor. Like the Pacers make you defend. And this is a team that, I think can catch anybody off guard, even across an entire series, because they're just looking to run, make, miss, rebound, steal, turn. Like it's they're just running. And it's so I think teams, even when you know the scouting report of the Pacers, even if you're playing them, you know, seven set over the course of a best of seven series, you just get caught off kilter so often by the amount that they're looking to run on offense that yeah, some of these games might be like 140 to 136, but like they're built to win those games. And so if they're able to get in the postseason as a seed that is not playing the, you know, the one or the two, uh, I do think they're borderline capable of winning a playoff series, but I, for that to be a certifiable yes for me, something's going to need to change. I would again point towards the trade market just because it doesn't look like Jarris Walker is going to have a big role this year. And that's really the only defensive difference maker on the team that we don't know about. There are limitations to what Bruce Brown can do when you look at his size. Um, there are going to be limitations in certain matchups what Aaron Neesmith can do. And so just after that, it gets a, a little bit difficult to bank on internal defensive improvement. You know, right now, this Pacers team, they're they're a very deep team. It's one of the strengths of Indiana. I mean, uh, the last few nights, they've had seven players scoring double figures. There's also a couple guys like Jarris Walker who can't get on the court right now. Now, if you are Indiana and you own two first-round picks this year, you own all your picks moving forward, you have cap space, do you start to say, I just don't think we need to bring another rookie onto this team? It's time to maybe start to you know, empty out the treasure chest a bit and consolidate because Jarris Walker, you're talking about uh, you know, the eighth overall pick technically – someone that you expected to be on the court. Ben Shepard, another first-round pick, can't really get on the court that much, a couple minutes here and there. Is this the time to say, you know what, I think we've uh, moved past looking to bring on another rookie and we want to go for it? I would say absolutely yes, and it feels like they've hinted at it, if not outright told us by, one, how they're bringing along Jarris Walker, and then even, two, deciding, okay, 
I know this is for, in theory, the benefit of what Benedict Matherin is doing when he's going up against um, opposing offenses as his defender and maybe even the quality of opponents he's facing when he's on the court. But like the fact that he's just not starting, it kind of tells you like, no, they're invested. They're invested in the here and the now more than you might think. And so I would agree, whether you agree with that sentiment, I don't know, but the sentiment you just laid out, it does feel like they're tracking toward, maybe it's not a decision they make at the deadline, but certainly heading into the off season that this summer, by this summer, they're going to be done with the uh, kind of wait and see mode. Um, and he, again, even right now, it just seems like they are done with that because of the roles of Walker, Shepard, and again, even Matherin. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, everybody thought Matherin would get the opportunity to just use this year, be the starter next to Tyrese. And it took what Rick, maybe 10 games before he made a decision to put buddy back in there. So I think that it made sense because it needed to get more floor spacing out there with that first unit. There wasn't a lot of uh, good floor spacing. And I feel like buddy is more beneficial playing with Tyrese and not playing with him. So as, as many minutes as they can get together and then kind of let Ben run the second unit once again, like it did last year, it does make more sense dynamically with what they're trying to do. But you bring up a great point talking about has been that number two guy. It's kind of hard to see that fit with Tyrese right now. And maybe it is premature because he is super young, but at this moment, I think they're still looking for the number two. And I agree. I don't really think that he is on the roster, but uh, Dan, we want to thank you so much for coming on this podcast and, and joining us to talk about the Pacers. I mean, we don't usually get a lot of national people coming on talking about Indiana for 25, 30 minutes. So you know your stuff and uh, where people find all of your great work at. Uh, then come check me out at Bleacher Report. I'm publishing all the time over there. And they should check out the Hardwood Knox podcast if they're interested in hearing about the NBA at large. All right, man. And where can they follow you at on Twitter? Uh, they can, my name, at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. Awesome stuff, Love man. We thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to do it again soon. And uh, hopefully the Pacers are uh, hoisting up the first ever, first in-season tournament championship. It's always a pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks a lot, Dan. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. 
That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ripple Bagel and Deli is the home of Indy's original steamed bagel sandwich. It's located in the heart of Broad Ripple, and they're family-owned and operated, proudly serving their customers for over 20 years. They pride themselves on quick casual dining with over 100 different steamed bagel sandwich options. It truly is a staple in Indianapolis and a can't-miss breakfast and lunch spot. Ripple Bagel and Deli offers a great friends and family atmosphere where you're always welcome to dine in and be a part of the family or feel free to bypass any way by conveniently ordering and paying for carryout ahead of time at RippleBagelDeli.com. Ripple Bagel and Deli also offers best-in-class catering anytime, anywhere, with a long list of customers ranging anywhere from law firms to drug reps to several different sports-related clients, including Butler, IUPUI, the Indianapolis Colts, and several visiting NFL teams. They pride themselves on their ability to satisfy all of your catering needs, no matter the occasion or event, and will customize your order, provide competitive pricing, and always deliver on time. Ripple Bagel Deli, the home of Indy's original steamed bagel sandwich. All right, everybody, we are back for Pacers trivia and our setting the pace fans of the week. We've got on reoccurring fans of the week from previous seasons ago, Matt Peck and our man, Eric. Matt, how's it going, man? Wonderful. How are, how are you guys doing? We're doing, doing good. great. Happy to be here, man. Uh, Eric, love that you're rocking that City Edition uniform. And uh, yeah, wow. night. Number 26. That's the first Ben Shepard's jersey I think we've seen by Never anybody. Seen it before. Hey, he's going to be a star someday, right? So I had to get on the boat early. So going to be a star. Hey, you heard it here first. You're, you're driving that boat. So, you know, uh, Sailing it, whatever you want to say. I, I think that's awesome because, like we said, I've never seen it before, so someone had to be the first. You know it. Well, well mark it here. Uh, Eric is on the official Ben Shepard bandwagon. So, Eric, since you're being so bold today, I'm going to give you the opportunity to go first here. We have our round one. It is actually titled In Season Tournament. We are sticking with the theme from this week as the Pacers are headed to Vegas. So, Eric, do you want me to ask you the first question, or would you like Fachi to ask you the first question? Since Fachi got to miss out on that uh, excellent game last night, hit me up, Fachi. Hey, I appreciate it. Uh, so let's go. First question for you, Eric. Um, Tyrese Halliburton was the leading scorer in four of the five in-season tournament games this season. Who led the Pacers in scoring the night that Tyrese didn't? Uh, there is a oh, hint. Oh, man. Now, here's the hint. It was the first in-season tournament game against Cleveland, and this player scored 27 points. There are three choices. Choice one, choice A, Miles Turner. Choice B, Buddy Heald. Or choice C, Benedict Matherin. I'm going to go with my boy Miles. Okay, is that your final answer? That's my final answer. That is a great answer because it's correct. It was Miles Turner. He had 27 points against Cleveland. Uh, Eric, strong uh, strong start. Oh, I, I knew it was Miles because I was blowing my boy Matt some junk about Miles having <laughs> a great game. 
Yeah, the one time in your life that you actually came through. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell these two guys like each other? It's great. Um, All right, Matt. So the the question for you is, the Pacers allowed the fewest amount of points to which opponent in their five games of in-season tournament play? Do you want a hint? Before I give you multiple choice, I can give you multiple choice. I'll go ahead and take a hint here. Why not? Okay. The hint is the opponent uh, upset Indiana in round one, making it the last playoff series that Isaiah Thomas coached in before he was fired on August 27, 2003. So you got to go back to the 2003 playoffs, the last series that Isaiah oh, Thomas coached. Uh, who was the Pacers opponent there? Is that that's kind of the hint there too? So your three options are the Boston Celtics, the Detroit Pistons, or the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was yeah. You say Boston, Cleveland, and what was the other choice? Detroit. Detroit. Well, now wasn't Detroit. Um, so it's going to be between well, obviously Boston. God, gee, that's real hard. Cleveland. Think it's Cleveland. Final answer. I believe so. Wrong. Oh, was it? Okay. What was it, Eric? It was it was uh Boston. That's right. Oh, last night. Okay. Hundred and twelve points last night. Yeah, oh. we, uh, being that mighty three seed, we went down to that six seed. Yep, yep. you're right. Three six seed in two thousand three. Nope. Yep, you're right. It was. I was thinking it was. Man, I was trying. To, I know you're older, Matt. So I was trying to throw an older clue out uh, there for you. Old also means that my my mind doesn't work like it should. So there you go. <laughs> I believe that this was is sad. Uh, I am the oldest one here. This is really sad. So go on. Uh, that was when Paul man. Pierce and Al Harrington were jarring back and forth. The real uh, uh, yeah. competitive series back then. I think Ron Artest even pulled his pants down. He did. Oh, yeah. He did. He, you know, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen with Ron. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to move over to round two, and the category is Rick Smith's. Uh, Matt, since you're down, we'll let you go first. Do you want me or Fachi to ask you the question? Oh, you gave me the last one, Fachi. Give it, give it to me. All right. Rick Smith scored his career high against the Los Angeles Clippers back on December 10th of 1995. How many points did he score? Was it now, 44? Well, hey, 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 final answer. You want any choices or are you going with it? I, I feel like 44 is the right answer. 44 is correct, and a bold hey. statement responding after that last uh, you know, question you might have got wrong. Very impressive, Matt. I, uh, I was at that game. Oh, wow. Yeah, there I was there. Got to actually, Rick, uh, let us all come down. It was really wild because after the game, he let everybody in the stands come down and shake his hand. We all stood That's in cool. line. Yeah, it was really That's awesome. Wild. That's a good memory really right cool there. So I, I think that old memory still works just fine. <laughs> Every now and then, something will pop in there. (laughs) All right. Well, Eric, it's me and you now, so let's get to it. Uh, You might not even need the hint, but if you do, I'll give it to you. What year did Rick Smith make the NBA All-Star team? Oh, man. It was 98, I believe. 1998, final answer? Uh, Yes. Okay, that is correct. It was 1998. He had 10.7 rebounds, four assists, and two blocks. Uh, and a his first pass, too. The one pass to Jason Williams, right? Yep. And fun fact, Steve Smith, a.k.a. Smitty, and Jason Williams, that was their only all-star appearance as well as Rick Smith's and their entire NBA uh, uh, career. So we've got a two-to-one lead here for Eric, so we'll go back to Matt. 
for round three. You got to get this question right to stay alive, Matt. So who do you want to ask you, Fachi or myself? Well, you Fachi gave me the last one, so you go ahead and give me this one. Okay. The Indiana Pacers' last Game 7 victory came against this team. Hmm. And the category, I should say, is elimination games. Yeah. Um, wow. Let's see. I'm trying to think of when Frank was the coach. Did we have sevens that we advanced? We surely did. Um, oh, hang on. Is it Foch? Was it Fauci's Wizards? Oh, um, my God. Well, I don't know if there was. I don't, I don't know if that's right, hang on. has ownership in the Wizards. So I don't know if you want to go that route. Not oh, me. Not me. No, no, no. Okay, hang on. I'm trying to think. David West was. Uh, give me a. Do I get a hint on this one? You don't have a hint in the final round. But if oh, Eric wants us to give you one. Okay, it's the final round. One. I didn't realize the final round. So you didn't use on. a hint in round two, though. So that's true. Eric, should we give him a hint? Ah, uh, he should know this one, man. I should. It's gonna. Oh, hang on. I'm debating. The whether... question was the last game seven where we got eliminated. No, no, no. we won. We won. Oh, we won. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it had to be when Frank was the coach because McMillan never won anything. Um, <laughs> so it's got to be. Oh God, I can't remember if it was the Hawks or the Wizards. I would say one is wrong, and you've already said it. Okay, so I'm going to say it's the Hawks, the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks, game seven. Yeah, okay. First round, Paul George dropped 30 points. Pacers Mm -hmm. won 92-80. to Yep. David West was big in that series. I know not maybe specifically game game seven, but exactly. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So, Hawks, does that count for me? We'll count it. I'm still in it. Still alive. Still alive. We'll give it to you. But we're not going to help Eric out since he's been so good already. All right, Eric. Watch you go ahead. All right. Well, then for this, for uh, staying on elimination games, uh, the Pacers won an elimination game Monday night against the Boston Celtics to advance to the in-season tournament semifinals. Who was the last opponent the Pacers defeated in an elimination game? Now, there are three cho- choices here. So... Choice A, the Charlotte Hornets. Choice B, the Atlanta Hawks. Or choice C, the Washington Wizards. Let's see. We eliminated Charlotte in that uh, playing game. Yep. Final answer? Final answer. That is correct. Man. We did indeed eliminate the Charlotte Hornets. It was May 18th, 2021. Um, and then they ended up losing to the Washington Wizards in that that next game. Remember, Russell Westbrook was a handful, but hey, that is correct. Uh, Eric yep. is three three for three, and I have to apologize because Matt, I forgot to give you multiple choice. That's okay. I just I just made you guess, and I don't even know why I didn't do it. I just spaced it, so that's on me. That's why I kind of helped you a little bit there with the uh, <laughs> saying it wasn't the Wizards. It worked out. There you go. Hey, you, you did get the question right, and then, but obviously, uh, this series does go to Eric on a clean sweep. Right on, right yeah. on. Well, I, I will say this: we right. did have we did have a tiebreaker, and we could do it for fun if you want. Sure. As we wrap it up here, so the two of you guys are going to go back and forth, putting the current roster in order from oldest to youngest. Oh goodness. Oldest to youngest, huh? Oldest to youngest. 
So you're going to go back and forth. If one person misses it, we'll just go to the next person, see if they can get the next one, since it doesn't matter now for the tiebreaker. Uh, but starting with the oldest player, we will start with you, Eric. Who is the oldest player on the Pacers roster right now? Oh, goodness. You should know this one pretty well. It is TJ. It is TJ McConnell. <laughs> so that means that being next up would be, uh, I'm assuming it's Miles Turner. No, it's not. Oh, my Lord, it's not. Oh, wow. I'm doing horrible at this. Uh, Okay. Well, Eric, who's who's up next then, Eric? Oh, God. <laughs> this question kind of borders on minutia, so I'm, I'm, I'm just flipping burgers here. Uh, Come on, Eric. Think about it. Would it be Bruce Brown? Nope. You guys nope. are thinking a little bit too young. There's one player older than them. Closer to T.J. McConnell's age was drafted before Miles Turner. Six overall. Oh, six overall. Wow. Oh, buddy. Yes. Oh, buddy. Buddy yeah. Heel. Buddy Heel. Yep. Good point. Okay. That means Miles Turner's next. <laughs> and then who's after correct. that, Eric? All right. Then I'd imagine Bruce Brown would be in that range, right? Uh huh. Number that is four. Correct. Mm hmm. Oh, okay. So, Lord, now I got to start thinking who's on the roster, Bill. Okay, right below Bruce Brown. Now's um, hmm. where it gets tough. Yeah, because yeah, they <laughs> a all, lot of these starters. players. He's they a starter. Come. He's a starter. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, got already got it's going to be Toppin or Bruce Brown's already been named. Um, it's not Tyrese. So, um. You mentioned it when you were going through the list. Oh, Obi Toppin? Is he? Obi yep. Toppin. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's Obi. Yeah, all right. All right, Eric, number six. Uh, uh, well, I'm going to go with... Oh, goodness. Would it be Jackson, possibly? Uh, not close. Uh, wonder, he doesn't play much. I wonder if, oh, the guy doesn't play much at all? Uh, mm -hmm. hmm. I, was say, I wonder if Jalen Smith's not in there, but uh, now Jalen plays quite a bit. Oh, uh, Jordan Wara. Jordan Wara. Yep. Oh, man, I was, he was on the squad. <laughs> I, uh, I don't blame you. Yeah. Now, and we did one, have two-way players in this, too, so I do uh, yes. want to let you guys know that. So it is 17 oh, players. No, two-ways on here, too? Yeah, they're this, on the this, roster. It, they could play in the game, technically. This area is super tough with everybody being almost interchangeable. Yeah, it was, a, it was a fun one. All right, this one's a tricky one. Number seven, who's up next? Is it you, Eric? Yeah. Well, since you told, since you told me two ways are involved, uh, goodness. Well, hell, our two, two ways are, uh, what, Wong and, uh, and what's this, been Brown? Yeah, Kendall Brown. You got Oscar Sheboy, too. Three, three, two ways. three two ways now. Mm -hmm. Okay. So not them two. Uh, hmm. I'm going to guess Jackson again, since I'm just guessing. That's going to be your answer for everything, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> is it? Is the is the next one up a three-way or a two-way player or just? Yes. Oh, we'll give you okay. That. Uh, I believe Oscar Sheboy is the oldest of the three. Great, so, yeah, yeah. Go great guess. 
Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll just go through and tell you the rest instead of making you guys guess. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's really hard at this point. Go ahead, yeah. Raj. In other words, we're not we're not good entertainment TV. No, right? <laughs> no. I don't want to hear Isaiah Jackson for the next ten people. It's, exactly. Isaiah is like still shockingly young, even yeah. though he's been in the league for a while. So uh, Oscar was was the answer to that, and then it was Aaron Neesmith, Jalen Smith, Andrew Nemhard. Tyrese Halliburton, Isaiah Wong, Ben Shepard, Benedict Matherin, then Isaiah Jackson. So that might have been about seven more guesses. <laughs> and then we got Jarris Walker. And then finally, Kendall Brown. So some of these players, you could see they've been in the league for a couple of years, but they are still 22 okay. years old or less. Man, they're still in diapers. Exactly. Yep. Young guys. I know. And some yeah. people are already ready to give up on him at times. Like, ah, oh, he's, he's not going to hit this potential. It's like, well, he's only 21. So, um, you know, shows how young this Pacers team is. Yeah, you don't want to talk to Eric about uh, giving up on young potential, do they, Eric? Uh, you want to tell him your theory about Ben Matherin? Um, I'm not as bad as some. All right, fine. I have to give you guys a break for busting your chops about uh, TJ McConnell. Uh, I appreciate man. it. Bring it, bring the heat, man. Yeah, I mean, hey, he likes to do that, you know. No, oh, Jim McConnell had, had a had a nice game in Miami. Looked terrible in the he first did. half yesterday against Boston. Had about <laughs> two minutes of really good play in the third quarter, and went back and sat on the bench oh, and did what he does best. <laughs> Way to tell. Hey, you, you guys weren't the only ones I was talking junk to about McConnell because yeah, I heard it in the first half of that game. My phone was dinging up as soon as he's like. Yeah, I thought you were talking all good about this guy, and yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's had moments, fine. you know. He is yeah, who yeah. he is, right? So you, so question for you guys. Uh, like, that performance that Halliburton's put on last night, where, where would you rank it in what you guys have seen? I mean, I, I think it Pacers. was for the, out, of, out of Halliburton or, or just out of Pacers? Every, every Pacer you've ever seen play in your life. But you're talking Halliburton specifically. Yeah, specifically that that performance last night. Where would you rate that in the pantheon of games that you've seen as as an individual player for the Pacers? I don't even think it was his best game as a Pacer. It was not. It absolutely no, that, was not. That's the, that's the thing. But he had big half. moments. But he had a big moment. It, big, it was big moments. It was big moments. But also like ten rebounds. I mean, that can't go oh. overlooked. I mean, he rebounded, oh. and then you, you think about the points that he accounted for on the assist with with thirteen. I mean, the, the big shots, I, I just feel like there was so much that went into it. And also, this is a really good defensive Boston team. So it's not like he just had, you know, a killer game against the middle-of-the-pack team. Yeah. I, I think that when you factor in that it was elimination style, it gives you a lot of hope for what he could do on a bigger stage. So I don't know where I would rank it, but I would just say over the last few years, I mean, it, it's definitely up there. But, yeah, it wasn't his – 44 points and 17 assists or anything like that. But this was – he was clutch. There was a moment. There was no doubt about it. It was. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of to- uh, one of his top 10 performances since he's been here. Definitely. But I would say it's probably like in the middle of the pack somewhere. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I haven't really thought about all of the games that Tyrese has had here. And it's kind of tough to do that on the spot right now. But you go back to the Miami game winner, the Chicago sure. Bulls game winner – um, the career high that he had against Miami just a couple of days ago, like he was special in that one. The 76ers game, he was really, really good in the Hawks game. That third quarter was so special. So, yeah, it just 
I'm kind of getting used to him doing this now, Matt, that it's one of those things where it's hard to just realize, like, I'm getting used to it. So it's like it's not surprising to me when I see him do what he does or hit a four-point play when you're down or when you're tied 105 all and then get an assist to Buddy to go up seven points in a matter of, like, 25 seconds. So he just uh, he brings it every night, and he's been on fire this season. So uh, I think the MVP conversation, while I don't necessarily think he's going to win it, if you're going to say he's in the top five for it, I'm all for it. Hey, if we get an MVP out of this uh, in-season tournament, if we make it to Saturday, yeah, yeah. you think you'll I mean, get it? A possibility. I, I think last night was the first time I can remember the the fans chanting MVP that it wasn't just an uh, ironic statement. You know, we we did it once when Lance came back and scored that twenty points <laughs> in a row. We we got an MVP chant going for him, but come on, we all knew he wasn't going to win MVP last night. It's the first time I can remember, except maybe Paul George back in about 11 or 12, but where we, the, you know, the fans were chanting that, and it was like, no, this this is real. You yeah. know, we're, we're chanting this because he really might be, you know. The last time we had a legitimate, you know, MVP was uh, Fauci's boy, Jermaine O'Neal, you know, finishing third. And then you can't forget about 2003, 2004. Hey, that man delivered. I really do feel that Halliburton is the next closest MVP candidate that we've had. Paul George was good, but I felt like he wasn't MVP-esque yeah. with the don't, Pacers. Don't Halliburton much, is approaching that. Because uh, the guy on the other end here, Matt, he, he might start sweating because he was trying to compare him to Sharif Abdul-Rahim back in the day. <laughs> Oh, not- yeah, Jermaine? Yeah, talking about Jermaine, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Both 1996 draft right over there, those two guys. So. Well, you got to remember, your favorite player is Jermaine. My favorite player of all time is Dale Davis. So, consequently, well, uh, well, one, wow. one, yeah, was, tra- one was traded for the other. So, yep, yeah, that, yep. that was always fun. I never held Jermaine. You know, I never faulted him for that. So, because Dale wanted out, so you can't blame him. But hey, uh, Dale, Dale came back. He came yeah, back and you know, he was in the house the other night for that. Yeah, yeah they did. That was cool. Yeah, that was cool that, to see. I was going to say, I was giving the Pacers the, the business online saying, why are you not acknowledging him? You know, and they obviously he must have just showed up and surprised him because they didn't have anything ready. And finally, Karen came out and took him back. And then when she came and brought him back out, they put up that video package of him. So which was really nice. But I wish we would have pulled that off. But, you know, not everything can work out. So. Well, all guys, right. we have to wrap this one up, but uh, thank you all so much for coming on, and uh, we uh, hope you guys uh, will be back. Eric, we'll be we'll be in touch with you to get back on because you'll have to defend your uh, weak win against um, other weekly winners, and then not weak as W-E-A-K, but W-E-E-K, your weekly win. No, see, that's win. what I'm going to say. It's a week as in W-E-A-K. <laughs> win, but, Eric, you'll be back on, man, and we'll get you set up for our December championship. Before we roll out, I'm gonna give you a let's go Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League.
Listen wherever you get your podcasts.